My guest today is a great friend, Sarah Sladen, who sadly hasn't come and had stuff with me for nearly a year now, which is extraordinary and very sad. But I thought I would love to chat to her because she has a small farm not far from us and she does absolutely everything herself, whether it's lambing, looking after the pigs, everything. We have a farm manager on a slightly different scale, but I thought it'd be so interesting to compare and contrast our lives and the satisfaction and pleasure that living in nature with animals gives us both. Thank you so much for coming along this morning. Really, really appreciate it. And I suppose in the spring, well, piglets come all the time, but you're now in lambing. But first of all, actually, Sarah, do you want to describe your farm and what you do? Our farm is 450 acres, a mixed farm, really. When I took over a few years ago, I turned it into a, a bit of an arable reversion, really. So we grow herbs on one part of the farm. And then the other part is all down to environmental stewardship, where I run a handful of Dexter's cows, Black Welsh Mountain sheep and Cooney Cooney pigs. Wow. (laughs) So we don't yet grow some herbs, but like you, we are a very mixed farm here on a different scale. We've got about just over 2,000 acres which we farm in one way or another and we also farm Lord Huntingdon's land nearby which so which makes yeah, makes exactly. more sense of our of our machinery costs but like you again we've always for years now been in every environmental stewardship scheme which the EU promoted we've got banks of wild flower meadows and beetle banks and stubble plots for stone curlews and amongst it we grow the crops that we grow, which is perhaps different to you because you're more into animal husbandry and sheep. Well, yes, I I, I am. I mean, I basically, because when I took over, I knew nothing about crops and all the rest of it. It was being contract farmed at that stage when my uncle was running it. There wasn't really, we had it in in the forecast was Brexit and all all those things. And no one really knew what was going to happen. So I thought, right, I'm going to stick and... For five years, I'm not going. I'm going to do a total arable reversion. Other than the, the herbs, I'm not going to grow wheat, anything like that. I'm just going to put go down to grass on the home farm and manage it for the environment and everything. And, and see, also we suffered a lot from black grass, which is an invasive weed. Um, and there is no way of getting rid of black grass with, unless you just smother it. So for five years, I thought, let's smother it and see what happens. What I've really enjoyed by doing the environmental thing, which you've probably found as well, like you, we're off the North Wessex Downs, part of an area of outstanding natural beauty. So you're very limited in what you can do business-wise. Chain, you, know, to, yes. you can't build things. You can't, there's a lot you can't do. And you're, the land is not great. It's, it's chalk. It's not grade one no. <laughs> farming down there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's chalk with a clay cap with runoff from the downs. So we suffer a lot with runoff and a lot of nitrates run, have run off over the years. So um, trying to hold those back to get it, stop them going into the aquifers. But what I've really enjoyed about the environmental side is just the amount of Bees. I never knew there were so many different variety of bees. When you stand in a field of 
herbal lays with all this wild uh, clovers and all the rest of it and chicories and things. And you're, it's just it's just buzzing. It's humming. It's so noisy. It's it? so noisy. <laughs> and you're going, but you're different to you, and you're different to you, and oh, look at you, you're huge, and you're small, and it's it's amazing. It's it is it's wonderful. Sadly, one thing I have found. I mean, we did find that um, we had a lot of yellow hammers and things like that. All the birds that we wanted to come did originally. But the one sad thing about lockdown has been the amount of people that have been obviously out enjoying the sunshine and all the rest of it. And I just did a a bird count earlier on in the year when we needed to do it. And he said that he's been doing bird counts. I have a man who comes and does it, and he does it around lots of places. He said he's seen a decrease in those birds, those hedgerow birds, which is a great shame. And he thinks it's because of... The amount of people that are out, yeah. many more people. Well, we try, there are footpaths running through Highclere and we try to hold the footpaths to where they are just mm. because it's us people, it's humans mm. who are diminishing the strength mm. of nature mm. and you need space for nature. And I try to explain to people that if you let your dog off a lead there, mm. the lapwings that were nesting mm. will not be able to mm. nest. So actually our lapwing population has been increasing, but that's because we do try to hold that, and that's for the reason. We've got enough places, I think, to to walk and to go as as Mm. people. Mm. And we're better off going up and down where we are than actually trampling nature, the bees, Mm. the insects, trampling through bluebell woods, which Mm. are not going to recover. Mm. So like you, I, I have that on one side. Funnily enough, Sarah... My next book is about seasons, nature, ah. um, gardening, cooking, farming from earliest times to today. And I'm so enjoying it. And it's the diversity of nature as well as the changing seasons that lies at the heart of it. It's looking at the poems from poetry of John Clare to Edward Thomas to what we've gained and what we've lost, to how it has changed and to the wealth in an edible hedgerow. So it's just small stories trying to share, you know, what you and I would perceive, which perhaps if you're stuck and desperate to get out and exercise, you you might not perceive. But at least if people keep to the footpaths, it it does actually help. But now we have, I think it's about, goodness knows, 1,500 ewes to lamb, or we lamb late and you lamb early. But we have help doing that. So Georgie (laughs) and I do do some lambing, but I think you do all the lambing to turn back to lambing. I do do all the lambing, (laughs) yes. Um, How uh, many ewes do you have, Well, I, I... I only I don't uh, I only lamb twenty five ewes yep. ped- pedigree Black Welsh Mountain, um, so they have to you know they they are valuable in yep. them in the, their pedigree. So yes. I do tend to lamb not indoors. This year I did lamb indoors totally, yes. um, and I lambed early in February purely because I'd re- I'd re-roofed a barn and I thought I better use it. <laughs> But then we had all the problems with frozen pipes and all the rest of it and no water. So that added a... But I I do do all the lambing myself. I do it all myself. I top all the fields. I do everything myself. But I'm very lucky in that there are a lot of people around who are much more specialist than me. It's the little lady up the road who cries and goes, please, I've got one stuck. Can you come and help me pull it out? (laughs) 
really handy, isn't it? <laughs> then I've got the odd person uh, who comes and, and helps me gather when I'm going to inject yes. and things like that because they have they have all the equipment. Yes. Um, and um, it's much easier to get them in and 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 do it with them. Oh, so God, yes, um, yes. But I mean, as far as if I'm moving a whole load of sheep from one field to another, then um, I, I I walk them. You know, probably half a mile, mile from one place to another. And a dog? You don't know. Nope, no, nope. I yourself. have my lovely collie, um, who actually is in the car now, but she's of an age and she was never trained. Right. So, um, no, bucket. Ah. So, um, <laughs> they are, the, and the black Welsh mountain sheep aren't particularly keen on dogs. Right. They will literally, if they don't want to go, they'll turn round on a dog and they'll just oh, go, okay. stamp their feet and go, no, I'm not going to go. So, um, no, the bucket is very... They're a bit Labrador-like, you know. <laughs> Shake How that bucket lovely. and they come. <laughs> so, um, so I've watched... The other thing that I've watched on your Instagram is your Cooney Cooney Pigs. So yes. what got you into Cooney Cooney Pigs, Sarah? <laughs> that is extraordinary because we were at a charity... School charity evening. And one of the prizes or one of the auction things was piglets. Cooney Cooney Piglets. And a girlfriend said, I really want to do that. And I went, well, no, you can't. And you, you have no land, you have nothing. And uh, she said, well, come on, we could do it if you, you, you had one and I had one. So, of course, we end up doing that, don't we? So, um, but you kept both the piglets. But she had no, no, yeah, well, then, then they, they, we actually put them in a little bit of her garden to start with. And then they came to me and then I got much more into it and started breeding them. And I'm on the society and I run, I'm, I run the show side of it and I'm on I'm the regional rep for this area and um, yes I, I've got myself too involved probably so what how many pigs do you have um, it, it, it all fluctuates as to whether it's Christmas or not and we're eating them yeah. <laughs> um, or summer and we're barbecuing them I can have 20 at one time that's probably the maximum I've had do you have a boar as well I have two or three boars oh, right. that I hire out as well yes. and with my rams I have about 20 rams I hire out about 10 rams as right. I'm a big hiring out thing as well rent a ram rent a ram rent a boy (laughs) (laughs) so yes I have boars and uh, castrates and uh, you know then a few gilts and sows so it really depends yes Um, and have you got those pig huts like we do as well arcs arcs they're called arcs arcs sorry (laughs) must get in the lingo get the lingo I know, well, I can't really believe it because I, I was leaning over a gate with Simon Andrews, our farm manager, to a funny bit of land which actually was full of brambles and, and detritus and the lambs kept getting stuck in there. Mm, so I said, Son, mm. we've got to clear this because, mm. you know, we'd find them in the wrong place mm. and then we'd find them too late or we'd have to go in there and pick it. It was quite a struggle. So we, so we looked and I said, you know, what about pigs so we then rushed away from that fence that gate and did some research and he was of course much faster off the mark than I and luckily had kept pigs and knew all about it already which is how we ended up with Thelma and Louise our British lops which are quite big they're big and um, they but they are friendly they are Mm. amazing and I love you know I always start chatting to them some way away so that they know my voice. And it's been the most extraordinary mm. journey. And we used to rent Ernie the Boar from Travaska's farm because he'd really saved the breed um, um, that Giles Eustace 
family. Mm. And then after a while, he said, I'm not driving up and down from Cornwall anymore. You're going to have to have your own ball, which is how we acquired Arthur. But we now rent out King Arthur of Tintagel, <laughs> Arthur as he's known, like you do. And mm. he has um, some girlfriends over by Malmesbury, which he loves, because they're a dairy herd. So he gets really well fed while he's over there and thoroughly enjoys that. And he has he has quite a life. But it's it's been absolutely amazing. And we have now undoubtedly extended what was a hugely endangered breed with 100 breeding cells left in the world yes. to two more. I mean, it's a small contribution on our part, but because of Downton Abbey, I think that helps. Um, people think they will also take some of them on and they're... They're friendly, you look after, and they just love a scratch, really. Well, the Rare Breed Society is, is a very important, which yeah. the British Loppers, and you're probably members of the Rare Breed Society. Yes. And I'm very pro that, and we do quite a lot, because I do quite a lot of showing right. um, the animals, and I show my sheep and my pigs. And we do quite a few rare breed shows that are organised literally for rare breeds. And um, it, Simon it, suggested I join you on that circuit <laughs> with my big paws, but I don't know. Yes, no, we get I you. I think you'd be rather good. I'd be the one who was in the wrong direction. But no, funnily enough, it's well, you're contained in a in a room, yes. well, in a pen, big yes. pen, and and everybody's really, really helpful. I thought and it'd nice. be quite fun, actually. No, you must come if Newbury ever happens again. Oh, I'd love to. Um, if it happens, I would love to come. It's the Royal Berkshire show, Newbury show, mm. Showground, and and it was part of the annual cycle of the year in September. Mm. And it, it's so sad that it hasn't been able to take place and is not this year either. No, and, and, no, and sadly, Newbury has got a problem. I mean, it's, we hope that it will come back one day, but it won't come back like it was before. It will come back probably just as a livestock show, which is how it started. My grandfather, we used to have it on our... Uh, it used to move round, and we, yes. have, we had it quite a few years on our ground yeah. at Kingsclare um, before we sold that off, and um, before it had its permanent home at... at um, at Newbury but um, it, it's been running out of money as has a lot of these big shows because they've just gone more and more into shops really and not agricultural shows yes um, but we hope that it will come back yes so do I and I'd do anything I could to help them come back um, because I think it's a really important link for those who aren't lucky enough to get up in the middle of the night and lamb and live in, live in a well, town it's education it it's, is I mean in, I do a few shows in London uh, with the city farms there and the city farms are the most incredible organisations. There are lots of them all around London and in other cities, but Mudshoot City Farm, Vauxhall City Farm, all these different farms, that they're all run by volunteers yes. on the whole. And people with learning disabilities and adults with behavioural problems and things like that come and they help with the animals. And it really helps them so much. As much as them learning about agriculture, it helps... It just helps. They're different people when they're with animals. It is. It's completely amazing. And I know that um, uh, Michael Morpurgo is behind some of the city farms mm. because I was hoping last year he might come and talk at our history festival last year, but it wasn't possible. And we could raise a bit of money for the city farms, mm. funnily enough. So I'd, I'd like to revert and see if we couldn't try and do that in yes, well, the that's coming what I've year. Done. Uh, in, during lockdown, when we had all these challenges and things, I did money for city farms because, of course, no, they had no footfall. No, no one was coming. So they well, had... it helps you and mentally, I think. Yeah. And I know that for me, I was realising the other day when I was checking the horses last thing at night and that sense of stroking an animal's mm. neck mm. and burying your face in it is just so special. When I, you know, you can't 
hug or give a girlfriend a hug or mm. say how lovely to see you you can at least say how lovely to see you to a horse <laughs> and they do talk back actually so well as you, you said about you talking to the pigs my husband feeds one lot of the pigs every day and he says I go and talk to the pigs I go and tell them my woes <laughs> it's really good isn't it but, um, and they do they sort of snicker and snort back at you and, um, especially you if you've to... got a bucket of food yes they, they need you need to get them the food first and the other thing is that I think as a as as my voice I've never done anything I've never given them any injections or things like that whereas Simon has oh I do our farm managers so they um so they're slightly more aware of his voice than my voice so there's love to me and concern sometimes in case he's going to give them an injection (laughs) which is quite funny there was one evening when um, Edith was about to give birth Lady Edith we've obviously got Lady Mary Lady Edith Lady Violet and Lady Cora and this was Lady Edith who was quite recalcitrant and it was miserable weather and we managed to to get her into an arc one evening and then she didn't give birth and the next evening I mean after an hour of chasing this pig around the bloody field we just gave up she wasn't having any of it she knew what we'd done from before mm. tempting her with food of course she then gave birth out in the mud and everyone was fine actually yeah, so yeah. they know where they want to give birth yeah. they do it's, it's, like, it's like a dog they, they need to sort of almost go in a few days or a week before and, and make their nest as to where they're going to go. Well, they do, because it's funny. I think if we, we'd left some straw outside in order to put in there, and when, when I come back one day, they'd actually put the straw in, in themselves. themselves. Mm, yeah. They're perfectly capable mm. of doing an awful lot. But I never get over how you can have these, these enormous pigs, Thelma and Louise, share the same arc. They've got two arcs. They're all in there together with all their piglets. And I don't know, yours probably do as well. They operate this crash system where all the piglets feed off one mum and the other goes and has a break. And then they sort of swap over. And that's what Thelma and Louise have done, which yeah, is it's brilliant. It's amazing. Wonderful. I mean, animal, animals are amazing as too. They are amazing. Nature yeah. is amazing. Um, so you've got pigs, lambs and sheep. And then you've also got herbal lays you're referring to. So yes, those, those, are, those are the arable reversions. So, yeah. so that's, again, when one starts doing these environmental schemes, one doesn't, never knew that there were so many different grasses. Yes. So the herbal lays are usually sort of more broadleaf. So they've got clovers and chicories and as well as all your timothies and all your different grasses they have obviously as you know with environment it's all about the soil and the depth of the root that so each plant has a different root depth so as to go down and get the nutrients and help with the worms and everything like that so and there are lots and lots of different herbal lays and you you make up your own mixture yourself but pigs love it it's cut for in the summer cattle mainly it gets chopped up, and not for my cattle, but I sell it. Got to get as much money as one can yes. off these yeah. off these fields. Yeah. Uh, yes, but it's 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 fascinating, and we've just had a, a soil sample sampling done on the farm to see how the five years of environmental schemes has has helped, and it's been very interesting as to which fields have benefited, which haven't. How interesting, Sarah, mm. because we've also grown sandfoin and other purple layers here. We also go grow crops because I, I think one concern that I have is the fact that we need to grow crops for food, for the wheat, the oats, the barley. We all eat them. And if we don't go crops here, we're then importing crops from far distant places, which then has a knock-on climactic effect. So I, I think it's the mixture of what we do that's important. And I, I don't you know, but I've 
I've been looking back at the agricultural records here and I found some from the 13th century. And where we're growing oats up on the high downland, they've grown oats then. It's the most amazing things. But, but again, with care, I find it extraordinary. It's finding what grows where. Mm. And I think the long rotations are key. The, the, the hedgerows, the edible hedgerows, which I'm really into. And we have some woodland which in some ways resembles some of the ancient woodland in, times, in terms of all the accumulated moss and all the different you know, fungi and everything else which grows over all the, the old woodland tree stumps. So it's, it's leaving those in situ. And I, I had gathered that in this country the amount of our ancient woodland has halved mm. since World War II, which is actually a more worrying rate than the loss of the Amazon rainforest, mm. which is extraordinary. So and what it is extraordinary is, obviously, with conservation, you cannot replenish the ancient woodland. Once it's gone, it's gone. No, you can't replenish it, but you can... I've, I've just actually done... We've got, we are probably 70% ash on our farm, so... With ash dieback, I've had to cut down an awful lot of it. But in one wood, I have almost, I, I hated it, almost decimated it. But we've discovered that it is an ancient woodland. We've discovered some orchids growing, all sorts of things. Yes. By clearing it, we've actually let the light in. Yes. And it's actually allowing a lot it's of things to regenerate. regenerate. We've found some, some natural ponds in there that we're going to dig out and, and actually enhance. And we're going to replant with some uh, in areas that are really bare with um, natural, you know, uh, native trees. But yes, you can't get back ancient woodland that's gone, gone, gone. But you can probably enhance you and find yes. ones that probably have disappeared, yes. had sort of not been looked after. I completely agree. I think it's planted the right tree in the right place. Exactly. And I was, Geordie was saying that. He wanted to plant in some of the wild pears and apple trees. I've done yes. amongst yep, exactly. um, the replanting that we are doing, and um, funnily enough, I don't you know, but um, in the wood of goodwill which Geordie and I created, I found there were only sort of thirty native British tree. So I have replanted them all in that wood oh, and labelled them. So when children come around, they can find them. Yeah. I need to do some more leaflets. I'm always behind on everything, but I thought that was very interesting. So amongst the exotics and you know the English botanists who brought back the most extraordinary range and exotic um, specimens of trees from abroad, which are also important because they love our temperate climate. It's just again hanging on to those and you know the black poplar, which was everywhere proliferated everywhere is now quite rare so it was really interesting to replant that and it's it's growing well so it it's been a really interesting and like you as we've taken out some of redwoods which perhaps weren't best planted there we've now got bee orchids and a whole range of of wildflowers back again and that diversity which perhaps a poet like John Clare might recognise. Exactly. But you were talking about the crops and all the rest of it. I think what I, when I said I grow herbs, in fact, the herbs that I grow, I grow parsley, sage, those sorts. Of, I am growing edible crops. That's what I was thinking yeah. too. Yes. So um, although the herbal lays are grasslands, Grassland. one side of the farm, we have two separate sort of farms, is all down to herbs. So we grow with, with a 
local contractor. We grow sage, chamomile, German chamomile, parsley. We're just about to grow parsley. So we are growing. Do you grow stuff. mint as well? No, we it? don't put mint actually because that doesn't that doesn't grow on the, our land. It's, it doesn't oh, like our soil. So um, the German chamomile has gone wonderful, and the sage is fantastic. And the sage, the brand of sage that he grows, or we grow, has an they've discovered has an Alzheimer benefit. So oh, um, and there's only about three people growing it in the country. So, oh, fantastic! Um, which is fantastic. Well, um, what I don't know whether you know, but there's a there was a Roman saying which is a man who grows sage can never grow old or woman. <laughs> so that's probably oh, why. Great. <laughs> so, excellent. So you're 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 set for life, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> I'm sure there's something I can find out about the other exactly. herbs as well. So I have grown, I do grow lots of sage and, and I pan fry it like the Italians do as a little hors d'oeuvre. Have you ever had that? No. Oh my God, when you next come to supper, it's a little canapé where just pan fried sage and honestly, I, I just sort of stand by that particular plate of canapés and don't move. I don't move. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. But Sarah, I think I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming round today. I've learned a huge amount from what you do and I know you have get up very early or stay in the middle of the night doing mm. your lambing. And yes. It's, um, <laughs> you look very well on it. So, so it has been a joy. Can I just lastly say, did I remember, are you related to Emma Kitchener Fellows? Yes. Both my husband and I are cousins of hers. Of Emma Kitchener Fellows, yep. married to Julian Fellows, the creator of Downton Abbey. Yeah. So whenever they come and stay, I too try and ask you both round which is such a joy and I thank you so so much Sarah for coming on today not at all wonderful just to remind you please do subscribe to this podcast then you can have it every time it comes out